to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. So today we're continuing in our series in the book of Song of Solomon, and we've been tracking this couple through these different moments and phases in their uh, life. And uh, so we saw initially that attraction phase, then we saw dating last week, we, we kind of got a snapshot of their honeymoon, and then uh, today the honeymoon is over. And, and we're gonna talk a little bit about conflict and marriage, and so I've invited my wife Claire to join me to do the, today's message. Let's welcome her to the stage. Now, in each week, we just tried to just remind you that whether you find yourself single or married, uh, whatever phase you find yourself, whatever season, whatever uh, life God's called you to, uh, we believe these principles, a lot of them apply to everyone. And I believe this is especially true this week as we talk about conflict in marriage. But a lot of these principles, uh, at least half of them, really apply really to how we handle conflict and any relationship in our lives. And really, as we get started, I just wanna get it out there. I'm a believer in marriage. And the Bible tells us to, it's good. We've done it for 26 years. I'm glad. Years. I'm glad to hear that. Yes, I'm on. <laughs> guys, I'm questioning whether this marriage thing's even a thing. And so uh, wow, no, I. Uh, in front of the whole church? Uh, like, yeah, right now. Wow. Yeah, it's a big okay. day. No, I am a believer in marriage. The Bible tells us to honor marriage. The Bible tells us that marriage, when it's done well, becomes this picture of God's love for us and Christ and, and Christ's relationship with us. And, and I believe that, that marriage has a whole great amount of upsides. Very, from, from romantically speaking, uh, married people report having sex more frequently than sexually active single people. Married people uh, report a higher level of sexual satisfaction than sexually, uh, than a sexually active single people. And then all the way to, to practically speaking, Married people uh, end up be living healthier lives, end up living longer, end up, end up being wealthier. There's a whole lot of great things about marriage from the romantic to the practical to the spiritual when done well, this picture of God's love for us. So many good, good things about marriage. But on the other side of things, <laughs> marriage is a lifelong commitment of one sinful, broken person with another sinful, broken person, living in the same house, sharing a bedroom and a bathroom, often bringing more sinful, broken people into the world to live in their house <laughs> and eat their food and spend their money. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, I, and so inevitably there's gonna be some conflict in marriage and family and, and really, I say this tongue-in-cheek, but, but, but I really want you to get this. I believe one of the primary purposes of marriage in our lives, if not the primary purpose, I'd, make, I'd say it's probably the secondary purpose of, of marriage, number two or three, it's a big, big deal. Maybe it's number five. And so uh, it's a significant purpose in marriage is this thing of having two people committed to one another and, and committed to loving one another when the other one's not very lovable and committing to work through the hard moments and, and learning what repentance look like, looks like and what forgiveness looks like. I believe that other than, than the Holy Spirit and, and, and the Word of God, it probably is, for, for, for married people, this relationship with their spouse 
that in the moments of difficulty that God uses as much as anything to make us more and more like Jesus. It's a powerful tool of what the Bible calls sanctification, this process where we're becoming more like Christ. And I believe it's the hard moments, it's the difficult moments, it's the moments of conflict and, and difficulty that if we will respond well and invite God to, to do good things in our lives through it, that can be incredibly powerful in our lives. And so today we're talking about conflict. If you have your Bibles, look at Song of Solomon chapter five. Song of Solomon, chapter five and verse two, and we see, she says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. So she's gone to bed early. Back in, in this time, and even in, even in modern times, many royal households, there'll be a bedroom, separate bedroom for husband and, and wife, and I don't recommend that unless your spouse is a big time snorer, and then do whatever you gotta do. <laughs> I thought that was funny, whatever. And so, uh, um, and then uh, she says, my beloved is knocking. He's knocking at the door of the bedroom. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. Now, chances are it's really more like sweat. Sometimes when you're sweaty, you might just begin to, oh, it's just dew in my hair. Don't worry. Ignore that <laughs> odor. That's dew. And so uh, then she says, her, I, she says, I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? And he's saying, no, don't, don't worry, you don't have to put it back on. And um, feel free to leave it off. And then she says, I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? So now she's giving the proverbial, I've got a headache, honey, is what she's saying. He came home late. He came home, that's what you get. And so uh, <laughs> my beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. Now she's having a change of heart. She said, all right, I can... I can, I can go ahead and, and wrap my head around not going to bed early tonight. And then she says, I arose to go open for my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. He had, he had felt rejected and left. My heart sank at his departure. She realizes that she sent a message she didn't mean to send. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. It could be that he didn't hear or could he be that he's given her the silent treatment? And then this last little sentence is, 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 is uh, imagery here. The watchmen found me as, as they made their rounds up in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my cloak, these, those watchmen of the walls. Now, if you were a guard in this city, it was bad for business to beat up the queen. I don't think that's what happened. I bet it's, it's, she's speaking of this emotional thing that happened. She's, feel, she's knowing she upset her husband and now she's having all these thoughts come into her head that are hurting her emotionally. She's feeling wounded and hurt. There's been this conflict. And, and, and so, so Clara, a big part of, of handling conflict well is expecting it. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, raise your hand if you are a sinner. Yes, raise your hand if your spouse is a sinner. <laughs> Like sometimes they're putting two arms up, you're elbowing with your other arm or whatever. Um, we, that's just what Dave was saying, is that you're in this, the closest relationship in your life, the most intimate relationship in your life, and you're both sinners. You've come into the relationship. Everyone comes in with some level of baggage, whether it's from past relationships, from your family of origin, from whatever it is. Everyone is coming into this 
with some things and with some differences of opinion and perspective. And so it's good for us just to expect to have conflict in that scenario. And the thing about if you expect it is then you can prepare for it. And I think that sometimes some people prepare more for the apocalypse with storing up all this stuff and doing all these things than they actually prepare themselves to have conflict well with their spouse. Usually it just kind of happens on accident and then we're like, oh shoot, I did not handle that very well. So if you expect it, then you can prepare for it. Now, if you're someone who's saying that, oh, we never have conflict in our relationship, well, I, I beg to differ. I wanna question that. There's really three reasons why you might say you don't have conflict. And the first one is that uh, one of you or both of you might just be remarkably good-natured people. Some people and hit the lotto and just marry someone that's remarkably good-natured. I don't, I'm not sure, because I know it's, it's a small, small number. number. Well, when, before Dave and I first got married, um, I thought I was the most selfless person in the world. I'm like, oh, this marriage thing is gonna be a breeze because I am so selfless. And then we got and married. And humble, so humble. And humble, all the things. And then we got married and like, you know, five minutes in, I'm like, wow, I am so selfish. This is gonna be hard. And so uh, I'm not sure if that's, that's anyone in here that you're re- remarkably good natured. Might be few of you. Or another reason might be that at least one of you is suppressing a lot of thoughts, feelings, emotions, um, opinions for the sake of peace. I think you did that early in our marriage. I I am, I'm a recovering volcano. And so what happens, we kind of call this person like a volcano, right? A time bomb or volcano. And like legitimately, and I had a really hard time growing through this is because legitimately in the moment, I would think this is not that big of a deal. It honestly does not bother me right now. But then you have like 25, 30, 40, 50 times of the, that doesn't bother me. And all of a sudden one day they do the one thing and then you are like through the roof, done, right? And so it is really, really careful. And I had to learn, um, speaking of expectations, of, of kind of adjusting my expectations because it's really not fair to your spouse if you're that person where a conflict comes up and instead of dealing with it in the moment, you just let it go, let it go, let it go. And then later on it's this huge thing because If you can see the conflict and like, okay, I disagree here, and sometimes you do just have to kind of blow it off, but- Have um, grace. Have grace. Um, But if it it really is meaningful, you need to address it in the moment because then it can be solved and then we can move on and then we can prepare ourselves for when this comes up again, this is how we're gonna handle it, instead of just not saying anything and one day exploding. And that can be so damaging to your spouse and to your relationship. And it's not fair because they had no idea. And so um, just wanna just be mindful of that. The third reason, which is the saddest reason why you might not be experiencing conflict in your relationship is that at least one of you has given up and your hearts become hard. Really is true that as long as you're fighting, you have a chance. But it's when, it's when there's no, when you used to fight and, and now you've just stopped it because someone has just given up and doesn't even wanna, doesn't even wanna take the energy. It really is um, a, a spot of like, hey, we might be in needing some marriage intensive care. If, if there's yeah. this giving up, so there's no longer even communication for conflict. And, and, and I, I think you, you expect it. And that really the second thing we need to do is identify what are the landmines in our relationship? What are the, these, these seasons or sources of conflict that seem to, to be moments that, that we tend to fall into some difficulty? And what we see with this couple is we see that they're dealing with two of the four biggest issues that, that, that affect marriages. The, the first one is communication. 
And, and so the, the big four are communication, sex, money, and then family issues, parenting or in-laws. And, and so what you gotta do is look at your marriage and identify what are the common causes of our conflict. Of the last four or five big disagreements we've had or passionate discussions that we've had, what, what, were, what were some similar themes? What were the, the, the common causes or times where these become a thing? And so communication, sex, money, and family issues. And so what we see with this couple is there's big communication issues. And I would tell you this, that, that the single biggest thing you can do to improve most any relationship is to improve the communication. That, it, that all of these other issues, sex issues are, are often really issues about, about communicating about sex. Money issues are usually about communicating about money. Parenting issues are usually about communicating about parenting. And so this communication thing, he comes home late at night, he didn't tell her he was coming home late at night. He comes home late at night and he's got some hopes about how his night's gonna end. He's not communicated those hopes. She's gone to bed early. She didn't tell him that morning, hey, I'm thinking I'm gonna have an early night tonight. And uh, so the communication is the biggest thing. And so communication is a big, big deal. And that was a big thing. In, in our first year of marriage, uh, Claire and I found it really hard to adjust to communicating about time. Now, we got married almost 20, 25 and a half years ago now. And so back then, cell phones were expensive. I was a poor youth pastor. And so, I, like, literally, we had pagers. Anyone remember, like, carrying a pager? And so we had a pager, and so somebody calls you and then, and then does the 911, and so now you're pulling off, going to a pay phone, and that's the thing where you put a quarter in a phone and you can call somebody. It's, uh, you know, but so, so sometimes, I, Claire would say, hey, I'm gonna be home around 5.30. And, uh, and so myself, in that first year of marriage, with us not able to communicate, is clearly in that first year of marriage, it's like if it's six o'clock and she's not home, or 6.15, I begin to get worried. And so at 6.30, I'm imagining her dead on the side of the road. I'm calling hospitals. Like, I began to be, like, panicked. And, because, you know, and, and then, but year two through five, I, I knew she's not dead. She's just not keeping her word as to when she was going to be home. So then I went from worry to a season of rage, where it's like every time Claire was, was more than 20 minutes late, I just am feeling personally lied to and like, wow, I guess we're just gonna, I guess our word means nothing here. And so I, uh, and so, and then somewhere around year five, hey, I think we got cell phones. Cell phones were, and, and, um, we got cell phones. But I also just Thank began God to just kind of lower my expectations and have grace. And honestly, every year since then, things, that area of our life's just gotten better. But the communication, the, any words if you wanna say about your, like in my defense? Anything you or, want? <laughs> freedom. No, I just, I am genetically wired to have challenges with time. I just want to like put that out there. But um, we, we were raised with totally different concepts on that. But anyways, but it is true. The biggest part of that was communication and learning how to communicate, even when, because we're each going to have our challenges in different areas, but learning how to communicate. And I know um, when we first got married, Dave is really a very good communicator, as you all know. And uh, he's just very upfront about it and kind of staying ahead of the game on trying to communicate about things. And I was raised in a family where you just kind of sweep everything under the rug and just sweep it under the rug. And if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. Like that's the family that I was raised in. And he was like this person who wanted to communicate ahead of time. Like if he could see the landmine coming, then he's like, well, let's nip it in the bud. That was his favorite thing to say our first couple years of marriage. Let's nip it in the bud. And I'm like, what in the world does that mean? I do not wanna talk about this. We are not gonna talk about this. We're gonna ignore it and pretend it didn't happen. And he would like literally like pursue me around the house. No, we're gonna talk about this. And I'd be like, no, I'm so terrified. Like it was- I was 21 years old when we got married. <laughs> all right, so. Um, but anyways, all I have to say, it was very Let's have a conflict now we, for the people to see it. They can- I, <laughs> I was hoping we would. This is so great. Um, 
No, but I, but I really appreciate because he pursued that. And sometimes you just kind of need to do that, that it is good. Even if it's uncomfortable for you, you need to press in and really, um, really be um, proactive about communicating with one another, for sure. So the next issue we see with this couple is, 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 is sex. And so he's coming home. He has an, afterno- an idea of how his afternoon is gonna go. She has no idea. She's gone to bed early. She kind of says that I've got a headache, not tonight, honey. He's feeling rejected. And I do think it does come back many times. And Dr. Braun talked all about sex last week. And, and uh, so we're not gonna camp out there. And uh, did have an older couple ask me after service, how many more weeks is the Song of Solomon series? <laughs> I said, it's only 19 more weeks. And, uh, and so uh, this is some people's favorite series. Other people, um, I don't know. And so, um, and, uh, and so the... Uh, but I do think, I was thinking about this, uh, that so, much, so many issues related to sex, uh, they, they can be, be, be kind of deep issues or physical issues, so many of the things that, that Dusty talked about last week, but sometimes it is a communication issue. And I was thinking this week, there was this older couple in our church that we started in Colorado uh, years ago at the time, they were like mid to late 60s, they have been married a long time, and they uh, had this thing that we found out, as we got closer to them, they had this uh, way that they each would communicate if they were hoping for their night to end a certain way. And, and for this couple, and it was super cute because of just who they were, they, they had bought this stuffed monkey. And so if, if one of them put the stuffed monkey on the bed, it was the cue. I'm hoping it goes a certain way. And now if they, and if they come back in the room and the other person has knocked the monkey off the bed, it was the way of saying, not tonight, honey. And so uh, it was, maybe you need to go buy a stuffed animal. I don't know. And so, oh. so we see this couple that are dealing with communication issues, sex issues. They didn't deal with money issues because he was the king, but most couples, many couples, that becomes a, a source of conflict. And, and, and then uh, the fourth is family issues, issues related to parenting or issues uh, related to in-laws and, and, and all of those things. And, and I, I would tell you, if, if, this, if that's not been a challenge for you, communicating about your parenting, um, a great idea is for you to go and adopt three more children <laughs> so that you can find out where your limit is, where it can begin to cause some conflict. And so um, stretch yourself there, but, but communicating about those things. And so it's, but maybe for you, you and your, your relationship, one or two of those things are something you are repeatedly dealing with. And it might be a sign that maybe you need to, to kind of dig in and, and really try to work on those things together, maybe even bring a therapist alongside to help deal with those issues. Claire, talk to us about kind of seasons of conflict. Seasons, I would say more, kind of, more has to do with timing. And so I think the thing you, you need to do is identify what it is for you and your relationship or for each one of you individually, the times that conflict is most likely and be aware of that and consider that. Here we see with this couple, it's late at night. He's been working all day. She's gone to bed early. They're both tired. Uh, it's late at night, not the time to start dealing with conflict or it's a time you have to be aware like, you know what, this isn't really them. It's just because it's late. Uh, if a person is absent, he was gone, she's sitting at home probably imagining all kinds of things of where he is, kind of like Dave when you were imagining me on the side of the road. And, because and I loved you and cared about I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that, honey. Thank you. I, it was... I, 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 I love you. Oh, I love it's, you uh, too, honey. Sometimes you have to use hand motions, you know? It's, uh, I love you. That's good. Um, Anyways, so uh, you, you've got to be thinking about not creating a narrative that isn't true when that person's not there. Also, just when people are playing tired, if past 10 o'clock at night, I can't trust my own thoughts and feelings, much less how I'm going to react to someone. Um, the double whammy, if people are tired and hungry. That's a big thing. That's hangry for Dave. And so sometimes it's like, 
let's not talk about this. Let's just give you something to eat and put you to bed. Um, like I'm five years old and yeah, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what works, what works. Um, also, for me, it's more if you're hurried or distracted. Like I'm in the middle of something and now you want to want to talk about this or I'm trying to get everybody out the door and we're in a hurry. And um, I'm sure that people can attest in my home that that's when I'm probably the most grumpy. And so I'm dealing with that. But anyways, um, that's not a time. And I have to, we have to realize as we identify these times is to give grace, give grace to ourselves, understand, you know what, this isn't them, I'm just in a big hurry and so I'm not gonna stir up this conflict. Um, also give grace to our spouses that, you know, this is, he's really tired, he's had a really long day. I wanna give him some grace for the way he just spoke to me and we can maybe talk about it later but just come back with a kind word. And then just choose a time, choose the right time to talk through whatever the conflict is that you're dealing with. Um, it's just really important to, to really consider the timing. I think it's very important to, uh, when, when a conflict or there's a disagreement, a hard conversation, uh, have a shared goal for the conflict. Mm -hmm. What is our end game here? So sometimes when we're upset, when we're hurt, we can, our goal can, can be wrong in a way that it's only gonna end poorly. If my goal is to make them hurt because they hurt me, this is going to end poorly. And, and in any relationship, but especially in marriage, getting even always backfires. I, Heard a story about a couple, and it was in the morning, and uh, uh, the wife said to her husband, the thing that wives sometimes say to their husband, which is, hey, I, I can't reach this thing on my back. Can you zip it up for me? Has anyone ever had that experience? Or do y'all's wives' arms go all the way? I, I don't know. And so she says, asked her husband to zip up the back of her dress. She kind of asked a little bit uh, harshly, and so he's very aggressive in how he zipped it up real fast, didn't really want to be bothered with it, and then she was super upset, and then at the end of the day, she comes home and, and uh, upset with her husband still, and she's walking into the house and sees her husband is laying underneath the car, working on the car, and his legs were sticking out, and so she went up to his pant zipper and, and zipped it up aggressively four or five times just to teach him a lesson. She then walks in the kitchen and sees her husband there and, and says, honey, I thought you were out under the car. And she says, oh, and he says, oh no, the neighbor came over and helped me and I just came in to get a glass of water. <laughs> they go out to find the neighbor unconscious because as when someone messes with your zipper, it startles you and, and he had hit his head on the car and was unconscious. And, and so the thing is getting even always backfires. And so is my goal to hurt them because they hurt me. Is my, is, is, and then sometimes people, their goal is to make their spouse look terrible. Talk about that, Claire. Make their spouse look bad. And you know, we see right here in chapter five, verse eight, uh, here is the Shulamite woman, and she is saying, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my husband, find my beloved, tell him what a jerk he was, work, work late, come home, and have the nerve to ask me for sex, and then he just takes off when I try to fly, come around. She didn't say that, guys. It says, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. And then she goes on, my beloved is radiant and ready, outstanding among 10,000. His head is the purest gold, his hair is wavy and black like a raven. Like she just goes on and on saying good things about her husband, even though that she's just walking out of this conflict with him. And so that's- And her, and her friends are trying to rile her up. They say, verse nine, how is your beloved better than others? You ever had a friend that was, was not rooting for your marital success and, and, or, or a relative? And, and so they're like, man, he's no good. Of course he came home, knock on, all he wants is, they're saying, how is he more, how is he better than anybody else? He's no good. And, and, but you're most beautiful of women. He's not good enough for you. 
And, and so the, sometimes we have people in our lives that, that want to get us to talk smack about our spouses, but she doesn't fall into the trap. She doesn't fall into the trap. And this is, this is something that's really important with this, is that when we go and we vent to other people about our spouse, we just want to you really wanna have respect for your spouse and for your relationship that you wanna honor them because you go and you vent to your family member, friend, mom, whatever, and tell them how horrible he was and then you come back and the two of y'all make up and now you're fine. That person over there is still thinking about what a jerk he is. And so then the next time you say, oh yeah, we had another fight or this happened. Oh yeah, of course, because he didn't do this or whatever. They don't have the experience of reconciliation or forgiveness or any of that. So now you've just created someone out here who's an enemy of your relationship. You have to really be very, very careful that, um, that we are not fighting, I'm not fighting against you, I'm fighting for us. And so then we are very protective of how we view our spouse and how we present our spouse to other people. And then you have to ask yourself, is my goal just to win? Sometimes in a conflict, it's not even about the conflict anymore, it's just we wanna win. And, and, and the thing is, if you win, it means your spouse loses, it means your relationship loses. And many times in conflict, it ends up where I win, you lose, or you win, I lose. Sometimes it's just a, a mutual pact of, of mutual destruction and where we're both gonna lose. But the, and you have to say, commit, we're gonna look for the win, win. That we're gonna, the first goal in the conflict should be to try to find a win-win, and then as we come out of it, we, the goal becomes reconciliation. Unpack that, Claire. That's right, and reconciliation, as we're defining, is that the relationship, relationship is restored to at least as good as before, but a lot of times in the long run, it ends up being so much better because you've actually worked through what it is. And reconciliation, there's really a couple steps before we get to that, and those are repentance and forgiveness. And it I, I'd say the other thing I'd add is sometimes it really, sometimes it's a matter of repentance and forgiveness. Many times, especially in marriage, but really in every relationship, many times it's really a matter of understanding. Really many times it's not, I was wrong, you were right, you were wrong, I was right. It was our communication got disconnected and now that's led to hurt and misunderstanding. Right, and which involves a lot of grace and, and humility. I think one of the things, like if, we're, if it's important for us to stay in right relationship with God so the Holy Spirit can tell us and convict us when we're wrong, and when we make mistakes, and so we can understand and come to each other um, in humility and repentance. You mentioned that verse 5-7 where it's kind of an unusual verse about the watchmen, uh, found me, made their, as they made their rounds, they beat me, bruised me, all that kind of stuff. Uh, like he was saying, it's more of a metaphor for her, her hurt and her sorrow, and so she has been convicted. She's allowed God to convict her and say, wow, what I did was wrong, and has taken that more humble stance, and that sorrow has led to repentance. And when we talk about repentance, oftentimes it's talking about turning from sin towards God, right? And But we talk about that in our relationship. It's more like turning away from our own selfish desires and turning towards my spouse, where we are actually adjusting ourselves to be turning towards the other person and then to lean in and to end forgiveness. I think that's something that I really value in our relationship is David is always quick to forgive and that's something I think that's important in any relationship to keep a relationship alive is you have to be quick to forgive. And uh, we don't forgive, it doesn't mean when I forgive that he's, he's right and I'm wrong. I, it's more God is right, I am wrong, and God has forgiven me. Like it says in Ephesians 4.32, it says be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So it's not because they've repented or they deserve it or they're right, I'm wrong. It's because God forgave me. 
And that's so true in all of our relationships, right? And so to be able to come and forgive and move past that. But again, you have to start with the goal of reconciliation at the beginning, that this is not, my goal here is not to just prove that I'm right. My goal here is ultimately to get us to this point of reconciliation. And we see that here with this couple in Songs, uh, Song of Solomon 6, one through five. And the friends are saying, where has your beloved gone, most beautiful of women? Which way did you... Which way did your beloved turn that we may look for him with you? It's amazing that she's gotten them, the people that were against the relationship, she has gotten them on board. And now they're saying, well, where has your beloved gone? How can we help? How can we come alongside in the healing of this Which is so important that you're not creating enemies of your relationship out there, you're creating allies, people that are helping you come together. And then she said, my, my beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to browse in the gardens and to gather lilies. He's gone down to Smith's and he's gotten me roses. Um, I am my beloved's and he is mine. He browses among the lilies. There's then, really been a heart change here. Absolutely. And, and sometimes what you have to do in your marriage is in the hard moments where you're both struggling is simply to, 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 to go away by yourself and just ask God to change your heart to where your heart is the same as his, which is reconciliation, and, and when, when reconciliation's my goal, it's gonna affect everything and how I approach the conflict. It's gonna affect my timing, and where you have the, the, the right sense of urgency of, hey, I'm not gonna let this, this thing divide us for days and days, but also finding the right moment to talk about it and, and, and not to, uh, don't, don't fight in front of your kids, don't fight in front of other people, don't have, that there's a right time, there's a right place, there's a right tone. So much of, of, of the damage that happens in our relationships is the, the tone and the face we take when we are having these moments of conflict. So, so to commit to a kind, life-giving tone and, and, and then have certain words that you're never gonna use with your spouse. Words like divorce, words like hate, words like always, words like never. Because here's the thing, once, even far after the issue that has gotten you having this discussion is over, the words that you use, the tone that you take, it can, can cause lingering damage and harm to the relationship. Can I talk to us a little bit about making up? Well, I just wanted to share this quote, I love this. We talked about these, the idea of two sinners coming together in marriage, and Daniel Atkins says, because of sin, all marriages will experience hardship, but because of the gospel, biblical marriages will be filled with persistent love, radical grace, true repentance, and joyful reconciliation. And so I just, I love that, that I, I, just another um, picture of how our marriage is a reflection of God and his relationship with us. And our third goal should always be to make up well. And so we're, there's kind of this idea of turn your heart towards your spouse, that it's not just, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I forgive you, and we move on, but really being intentional about reconnecting with them, whatever that looks like for you. Yeah, kind and, of recognizing there's been a withdrawal in this relationship. Right. Now let's have some intentional deposits at, as, as, as soon as is, is possible. Yeah, and sometimes you have to give your spouse a little space to do that because some of us process a little more slowly and we're trying to like still process and re kind of recover from some of the hurt that's been done. And so it might take a little bit of time for one or the other to be able to be in a space where they can connect. But, um, and you, you have to be kind of committed to move on. Instead of kind of hanging on to that, sometimes we get in a conflict and we're like, no, I'm gonna hang on. Um, but be able to, you kind of have to make a choice to move past it and then to move towards each other and to make up. Yeah, that could be as simple as going for a long walk, sitting by the fire pit, and, and having a great glass of wine and a conversation. It could be going on a date night. And listen, let's be honest. You don't wanna waste a good fight without having some makeup sex if you can. And so uh, it's, it Sometimes is. Sometimes I think you fight just to get that. 
It's, uh, I mean, I don't know. Let's think of that through. And so, uh, um, you know, the bottom, to wrap up, just, Jesus is uh, trying to transition to the Jesus moment and you're just being all perverted. What's up? And so, uh, your mind is always in the gutter. I am a person with a soul, not just an object to be objectified. I am so sorry. Your hair uh, is like uh, great. Uh, all right. So, I love you. It's, uh, <laughs> hey, uh, Jesus is our model in reconciliation. Let me show you here, Colossians 1.19. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness. So the Father was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in the Son, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. It's reconciliation, it's the heart of God. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood. So Jesus was on a mission of reconciliation. Jesus was on this, this mission of, of peace. And uh, through his blood shed on the cross, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind, some of you, because of, of, of hurts in, in the recent past or past of even years ago, there's this sense of alienation and disconnection in, in your hearts and in your minds towards your spouse. You were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Sometimes the very best thing you can do is just to look at your spouse, you know what, the way I talked to you earlier, that was sinful, that was evil, I'm sorry. Owning some of that. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. I love this last little phrase, without blemish and free from accusation. What if your spouse felt like you were free, they were free from accusation with you? So many times I think we get in patterns where, where little things are turned into big things and just these patterns where now we're just kind of looking for stuff in, in our spouse to accuse them of, catch them doing the, the wrong thing. But what God, in, through the gospel, the way he looks at us, he looks at us as without blemish and free from accusation. And so we can all, in all of our relationships, we can all be more like Jesus and how we handle conflict with how we love the other person well when they're not being very lovable, when they're not loving us well how we offer repentance when that's needed and grace and reconciliation when that is needed. And for some of you, the, the best thing you could do is simply to begin by asking God to change your heart towards your spouse, to turn your heart towards them. For some of you, it, it might begin by just a heartfelt apology of some of the ways in which you've handled uh, disagreements and conflict with your marriage. And for some of you, um, it, it, you, you might be identifying some patterns and some, and, and some conflicts that are, are not going away and that are repeating themselves. Claire and I had a season a few months ago where we were having the same intense disagreement repeatedly in ways that we never really had in our marriage ever before. And, and, and it ultimately turned out that we were both just anxious about the same thing and just didn't know how to communicate it well, but it took us uh, paying somebody to help us see that. And, and I, we went and saw a therapist and I said, Hey, uh, Doc, please help Claire see her wickedness. And, uh, and so paid a little extra on the side. And uh, sometimes you got to do that. And, uh, but it was super helpful. So maybe you say, hey, maybe we need to, have, maybe we need to see a therapist or a, a psychologist or a, a, a pastoral counselor. We've got folks on our pastoral team here who love doing, uh, come alongside couples and encouraging them and praying for them. And, but sometimes you, you, if you have kind of a, a, a conflict that just seems like it just keeps coming up and, it's, and you're not handling it well yourself, sometimes inviting someone else to come alongside can be and very I, helpful. And I think too, don't wait till it's too late. So many people don't even go see a counselor until their marriage is like dead and buried. And so when you first- well, I, think there's a, there's a, I think the, there's a number of years that most people wait 
far longer than they should before getting help. Yeah, absolutely. So if you, if you like even today, you're identifying that, please get help as soon as possible. Don't wait until your hearts have become hard. Let me pray for you guys. So Father, we, Lord, we do just confess our need for you. Lord, we confess that uh, without your help, we're, we're not going to love well. Without your help, we're not going to repent when needed well. Without your help, we're not gonna offer grace and forgiveness well. And, and Lord, I do just pray for, for marriages, Lord, that may find themselves uh, um, where conflict is not being handled in the healthiest way. And, uh, and Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you turn the hearts of husbands towards their wives, the hearts of wives towards their husbands. Lord, I pray that you turn the wives of hearts and the, the, the hearts of wives and husbands towards you. And as each one uh, uh, goes towards you, that it, the result would be that you would be this amazing common denominator, this amazing unifying factor in their relationship. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.